0: Grab your Bibles, if you will, and uh, open them to the 19th chapter of John. Uh, and I'm going to read from the 19th chapter of John. But um, I, I think you may know that <clears throat> that this week is called Holy Week. It it really is um, set aside every year to remember the the last week of Christ's life. And you know, it started. It started on a real up note. It started. Um, it started with Jesus entering Jerusalem, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, "Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest!" That's how the week started. In in some ways, the week. Ended, although it really didn't end, of course, until the resurrection, which we'll talk about next week. But um, upon entering Jerusalem, Jesus knew that in a matter of five days, his life would be taken. And this is the scene that describes those last few minutes of what I'll call his first life, I guess. The one before Easter. i in John 19 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God it it endures forever. Frank Borum uh, was a pastor in Australia, um, New Zealand, Australia in the uh, late 1800s and early 1900s on on one occasion dr borum uh, began a, n- a new series of sermons he entitled the series of the of uh, uh, this series of sermons he entitled it texts that made history texts that made history he started with um, martin luther's text many of you Know what that is, Uh, Martin Luther, the just shall live by faith. He went on from there to Augustine's text, uh, Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. That series went on for 125 weeks and was then put into a five volume set, which I now have all five volumes, uh, thanks to the generosity of a church member. But our text this morning, um, verse 30 of John 19, made it into that series of Frank Boram's. He called it Hudson Taylor's text. Now, who in the world is Hudson Taylor? <laughs> well, let me, let me answer that this way. If you're a Christian in China, you know who Hudson Taylor is. Have you heard what's going on in China? I mean, just knowing what's happening in the world of missions around the world. You know, they we have a missionary that sends or trains pastors. He's based in Taiwan, but... No, no, no. He's moved to Hong Kong now. Um, and he tells us that the estimates are somewhere between 90 million and 150 million Christians in China. And... Um, it has caused some people to even suggest that the whole new center of Christianity is in China. Not here. The Holy Spirit's moved, say some, <coughs> moved to China. <clears throat> well, um, <clears throat> Hudson Taylor, uh, in the mid 1800s, launched a missionary endeavor into the, the inward parts of China. It ultimately uh, became the China Inland Mission in 1865. If you know anything about missions today, they changed the name, same agency, but it was call, it's now called OMF, Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Uh, and all missiologists, all missiologists will agree um, in suggesting that the movement that we see today in China, at least humanly speaking, was begun by the arrival of Hudson Taylor in China in the middle 1800s um, to begin a movement that now numbers into the tens of millions. That's who, China, that's who Hudson Taylor is. And uh, John 19:30 was Hudson Taylor's text. Can, can I tell you the story about why it's become known as Hudson Taylor's text? Uh, Hudson Taylor was um, was a boy of 17, and uh, he lived in in England. He was raised on a farm, and it was on a holiday, and all of his family had gone into town for the holiday, whatever the holiday was, and And he was left alone uh, on the farm. And so he went into his father's library to get a book to read to kind of fill some of those empty hours. And uh, he couldn't find anything that really suited his fancy. And he came upon this tract. It was really a pamphlet. Um, And he thought, you know, I'm not really interested in, in this stuff there. But there's often some good prose in the midst of these things. And so I'll just pick it up, read the prose. And when it gets that other religious stuff, I'll put it down. The the pamphlet was entitled, The Finished Work of Christ. And so as he read, he went up, he went out to the barn, went up into the loft and lay in the hay, according to his biography. And uh, he was laying in uh, some hay and he was reading this pamphlet called The Finished Work of Christ. And when he finished it, he got up and he knelt in the barn and yielded his young life. To Jesus Christ, and the world has never been the same since. I've never read that track. I've never even seen it, but I have studied this text. And uh, what I want to do this morning is to try and unpack for you some of the incredible beauty. That is crammed into this text known as Hudson Taylor's text. It is simply John nineteen thirty, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. First of all, let, let me start like this. Let me tell you, let, let me tell you what what Jesus didn't mean. What what this text isn't saying. This is not some kind of statement of goodbye on the part of Jesus. You know, my brief life of 33 years is now over, um, and I bid you a fond farewell. It is finished. That's not what he means. Nor is it some kind of effort on his part to offer himself as some kind of model of suffering. You know, um, if you want to know about how hard life can get and um, how it's going to you know, really turn out, then just do it like this. That's not what he's saying. Nor is he saying, nor is this statement of his, it is finished. Nor is it a, it is a sigh of relief. Like, oh, oh, I'm so glad that's over. I mean, I made it. Whew. It's finished. It's none of those things. Let me tell you what it is. Let me tell you what what it is saying. And I, and I tell you, gang, in all honesty, um, I really struggle about about how to tell you all that's in it. <laughs> because, you know, I have 30, 35 minutes or so, and I, I can't tell you everything that's in it. because it is so richly marvelous. Well, let's try. Let me give you my old college heave-ho here. I, the, the best place to start is really a couple of chapters back in John 17. If you got your Bible still open, um, of course our text is in John 19, but if you can just flip back a page or two, to John 17, and again, all I'm trying to do is help unpack what is in this statement of his. It is finished. Um, it's, uh, it's it, this is the high priestly prayer. This is uh, John 17. You know, this is, uh, Jesus prays this, and, and only hours later, he is arrested. But he prays this, and in verse 4, he says, uh, this is John 17, 4, if you'll notice, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's what I want you to see. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, one of the things that Jesus is saying in that <clears throat> that statement in John 19 is, "I have accomplished the work that you have given me to do. Everything God that you asked me to do, I did it. It's done." From from A to Z, from front to back, from top to bottom, everything that you wanted me to do. I've done it. That work that you wanted me to do, Father. I've done it. It's done. And that's a place to start as we try to unpack the little one Greek word sentence. <laughs> Guys, that that Greek word, that, that that sentence in your translations, that is, it is finished. It's a single Greek word. It's one word in the Greek. I read a book this week, or actually it was a pamphlet this week, where the um or the author was Was decrying his early days in church and how his pastor would get up there and talk about the tenses of the Greek verbs and the, you know, the, the this, that, and the other. And he said, just bored me to death, bored me to tears. And, you know, I, I understand what he's saying. But ladies and gentlemen, every hope that you have as a Christian is bound up in the tenses of those, of that Greek verb. But I'm simply saying that the first thing that it means is that the work that you gave me to do, I have done. But if you look at the text with me again, back to John 19, you know, what I'm going to say in a few minutes, you've probably heard before. But I bet you've never heard this before. I bet you've never heard this because I, I, you know, I've never seen it before. It's in verse 28. Verse 28. Um, look, and, and, and this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished. The, the, the verb that is down in verse 30, to die, it's the exact same word up in verse 28. It's the same tense, it's the same voice, it's the same number, it's the same person, it's the exact same Greek word that is down in verse 30, is up in verse 28. He said, it is finished. <laughs> that is, <clears throat> knowing, Jesus knowing that all was now finished. Now, guys, that's that's not so much what I want you to see. What I want you to look at is in the text of verse 28. I want you to notice, look inside the parenthesis. It's in parenthesis in my case. I think it might be in yours. But the parenthesis, look what he says. Uh, that all was now finished, said, parenthesis. To fulfill the scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, the whole of the Old Testament, this whole thing back here, he is saying he has fulfilled it. (laughs) Oh my. Do you know what all is back here? All of those prophecies, all of those types, everything, all of it, every little bit of it is, is, is fulfilled in him from, from, the, from the hyssop branch to the daily manna. It's all, it's all fulfilled just, just in Jesus. Every prophecy, whether it was uh, spoken in Egypt or in Babylon, is fulfilled in in Him. From um, from the red heifer to the to the turtle dove, it's all fulfilled in Him. Every every event. Like, like the parting of the Red Sea, all the way to the, to the Passover. All of that has found its consummation in him. Every person in the Old Testament, from, from Abraham to Joseph to Moses, To David. To Jonah. To Melchizedek. All of it. All of it. Finds its consummation. In him. It's finished. That is. To fulfill the scriptures. Oh my. Everything. That we discuss and preach about here in the Old Testament. Has found its summation. In the person. And in the work of Christ. And the last. Little item found tucked back here that he had to complete was a simple statement. I thirst. And then it was done. Everything was fulfilled. The whole thing. Imagine that. But then, as phenomenal as that is, there's more that is bound up in this little statement. It is finished. Guys, um, I think you know this, but God, his father, had always required that the law be obeyed. Everything about it all of its i mean in fact in the new testament the the, the phrase is every jot and tittle now guys I, I know what a jot and a tittle it doesn't make any difference um it's a, a jot is a, is a hebrew letter called a yod and it's kind of like a little apostrophe and the tittle is a is a is it what they call a tau, a tav it's just a part of the hebrew language but god has had always always insisted that everything about the law, everything about it, had to be done. It had to be completed. It had to be accomplished. That would mean that <clears throat> everything about him had to fulfill the law. That would mean his tongue. Oh, my. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if we were only going to stand guilty before God for the sins of our tongues, what what an account that would be. Just our tongue. But it wasn't just his tongue, it was his eyes. It was his head, his heart, his, his mind. It was his heart. All of it. Had to be obedient. Everything that God required had to be obeyed. Everything that God insisted upon as a part of His moral government had to be accomplished. And, ladies and gentlemen, at, at, at that which we can only marvel at perfect obedience. He performed. Everything about him was brought into conformity with and in subjection to and in obedience of the moral law of God. The law in all of its beauty was satisfied in him. You know, there's an occasion in the life of Christ where where he's, he's uh, in an audience and he uh, he says to the audience, uh, "Which of you accuses me of sin?" <laughs> and there were only screams of silence. There's another event right as Jesus is being is on trial, and they're trying to figure out how to accuse him, how to find something that they can you know they can blame him for. And they, they finally conclude that there's nothing there. And so they have to hire two worthless fellows to come in and lie. Everything that the law demanded of me that I couldn't keep. He kept. Every demand. Every requirement. Every jot, every tittle, it is finished. But gang, um, as far as me and you are concerned, there's more. Uh, As far as me and you are concerned, really, I, I... Saved the best for last. That is, as far as it relates to me and you. Gang, before any sinner can be forgiven, before any rebel can be restored, before any prodigal can be welcomed back home, before forgiveness can be before it can ever be offered to a sin-loving people, then all of their disobediences, all of their rebellions, all all of their inconsistencies and flaws have got to be punished. All that I have done is not going to be winked at. It's got to be punished. Nothing, not one smidgen can be overlooked. Not a single flaw in me. If there is if there is a flaw, and then, then Satan can stand before God and say, ah, ha, 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 "You missed one for him." If, if there is a single flaw, then there's no hope for us, any of us, none. But everything, all of the sins. Somebody prayed this morning in a group of the staff. Somebody prayed, Lord, there are things that we have done that we don't even know are sin. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? There were things in the past. There are things in the present. There's going to be things before the day's out. All of it. All of it has been punished. In the one who said... It is finished, guys. The uh, the best illustration, and I and I've really, I've really, um, i really resisted even using it because I've used it so many times before. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just if you've never heard the illustration, it might be helpful. But it's the best illustration that that's out there, in my opinion. But but I've used it so many times. I, I apologize for that. But it, I for the sake of clarity. In 1947, a shepherd was tending his flock around the northeast border of the, uh, or shore of the Dead Sea. I've swam in the Dead Sea, swam. Well, I was in it. Um, But um, this is in 1947. A, A shepherd was tending his flocks around the northeast corner of the Dead Sea, and he threw a rock into a cave. And he was simply trying to scare one of his sheep out of the cave, and, and he threw the rock in there, and when it landed, he heard the sound of breaking pottery. He, he goes into the cave to see what's in there and makes what is the, the most significant archaeological discovery of the 20th century. He discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. In those Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, there were upwards of a thousand documents or manuscripts of the Old Testament. Some of them dating as old as 380 B.C. They were a treasure trove for Christians because there were there were fragments of books, but there were also whole copies of the Book of Isaiah. Um, it was it was a great bolstering for the authority of the Old Testament for 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 Christians. Great archaeological find. But also in those caves were hundreds, perhaps thousands of what were called bills of lading. Now we don't use that term anymore. We, we simply call them receipts. You know, I had my oil changed the other day at, at uh, one of those quick lube things, and, and when it was all said and done, they gave me a receipt. I took my generator into um, over here at Germantown Hardware, and I want to make sure I got a generator for the uh, for the upcoming weather. Weather, and and I, and I got it fixed, and I and I I paid my eighty dollars, and and the the little man behind the counter uh, stamped. I mean, he had a little stamp, and he stamped down at the bottom in red, paid and and then he put his initials in it and dated it, and I walked out with the receipt. That had at the bottom a a little stamped statement of this is paid and here's my, my initials to prove it. Or his. My point is, ladies and gentlemen, in those, in those caves around the Dead Sea, there were hundreds of such documents like that. Hundreds of receipts. And there was a stamp on the bottom of them. That uh, said the same thing. Paid in full. And it wasn't stamped. But it was written. And the word that was written at the bottom of these receipts is the word. Tetelestai. The one that's found here. And what it meant on those receipts is what Jesus meant on the cross. It's paid. It's paid in full. The debt that you owe, Jimmy Young, it's paid in full. There's nothing to be added to it. The debt no longer exists. It has been accomplished. It is finished it is done it is paid gang this is a um this is a shout of victory this is not a shout of defeat on, on in John 19 so it's um it's a fulfillment of all the Old Testament it's an accomplishment an obedience perfectly to the law and it is a payment of the debt that my sin deserves that's what's packed into that one Greek word now Let me tell you a little bit more about the the impact that that word had on Hudson Taylor. And then we'll quit. Here's here's what he said in his biography um, about that day in the loft. He said this. Then there dawned upon me the joyous conviction that since the whole work was finished and the whole debt paid upon the cross... There was nothing for me to do but to fall upon my knees, accept the Savior, and praise him forevermore. He understood that the great debt that his sin had produced had been canceled. The chapter in his biography where he tells his testimony, the, the title of the chapter is The Finished Work of Christ. And then underneath that is an excerpt from a, from a poem, I guess. Um, it seems more like prose to me, but it's just four little lines. Listen, this is, this is before he starts the chapter. He says this. Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death. I stake my whole eternity. Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death. I stake my whole eternity. You know what Hudson Taylor? I think why it made such an impact on him because he heard that a a prodigal could go home because the debt had been paid. He he saw that the forgiveness that his Guilty soul longed for. Was indeed available. Because. The debt had been paid. He saw that. That horrible breach in his relationship with God. That estrangement that he felt. Had been eliminated. Because the debt had been paid. It is. It is. Finished. And because it is, ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't ask anything else from you. He doesn't want you to add to or tamper with a completed, perfect work. You know, it's really rather ludicrous when you think about it. You know, what is there about me that I could say to God uh, that was perfectly done? <laughs> it's not a thing I've ever done. You know, my my faith is flawed, my obedience is inconsistent, my service is is incomplete, my love is Oh, so deficient. Why would I ever want to trust something like that? No, I don't want to trust something like that because, as our text tells us, it is finished. what kind of fool would want to try and add to that guys that is the message that drove Hudson Taylor to Christ and then drove Hudson Taylor to China back in my seminary days I um, one of the heroes of our small little denomination, in terms of one of the missionary heroes of, of our small little denomination, was a guy by the name of Harvey Kahn. He was a funny bird. He um, he came to our seminary to speak, and he uh, he was a big guy, and um, red-haired and freckled-faced, and he was just kind of a funny-looking guy, and he had this strange voice, kind of like Gomer Piles, and and um, he, he just... Just not somebody that you would think would be a missionary. But um, he told his story, and I was, I was moved. And I, I, I have to tell you honestly, I don't know whether he said it in that that speech or whether I read it in his book or where, where I heard him say this, but he tells a story about um, prostitutes in Tokyo and um, they had tried and tried and tried to um, reach the prostitutes in the in the underbelly of of Tokyo. With not a little success, no success, because every time he would talk to them, they felt such guilt and such shame. But it was the message of a debt that has been paid that finally got through to a group of prostitutes in Tokyo. The same message that converted a would-be missionary to China and a group of prostitutes in Tokyo. also converted me and so many of you. But if it hasn't yet reached you, may I be among the first to say to you, it is finished. lay your deadly doing down. It is finished. May we pray. Our Father, I do pray that you will um, make very clear and very uh, understandable a simple statement of the finished work of Jesus Christ for sinful men like me. And like the others who sit in this room, and that they might hear and know that there is nothing to add, there is nothing to do, there is nothing to alter, there is nothing to um, tamper with. It is simply the great gift of redemption to be received by the shaky hand of faith as we lay hold of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Would you do that, Father? Would you make that very clear to us all and that, so that we can find ourselves, along with Hudson Taylor and hundreds and millions of others, compelled, compelled to take that message wherever you take us. Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray.